All right, let's do it. Here we go. This is Home Life for Extraordinary Impact. I'm Matt Barrios. And I'm Lindsay Barrios. And on the show, we collect global insights on home. I'm doing deep, intensive research, interviewing folks all around the world. And on episodes like this, I'm joined with my lovely wife, where we um, talk about all the insights and how, what am I learning along the way? What am I distilling? Because it's a lot of information to go through. And then we also ask the question, what would it look like to make these insights actionable in our own homes? So buckle up because uh, we're going to you know be theoretical and talk about what people have uh, said on interviews and stuff on this podcast but also get really really tactical tactical and tangible in it all awesome yeah i'm excited to learn along with everyone too uh, matt has been interviewing a lot of people how long have you been doing this now now i've been doing this since uh, i think my first interviews began about um seven months ago which is pretty wild. And then yeah. I've been putting up episodes consistently for the last five months. So uh, I think this is episode 21, wow. something like that, which Amazing. is pretty wild. And yeah, but it's, it's been a blast to do this project. Yeah. So if you guys, hopefully you've been able to catch some of the episodes along the way, but if you're like me, you have not listened to all of them. So this is our chance to do the high level takeaways, right? So exactly. I'm excited to hear from you. You've obviously been in all of them. Yes. <laughs> haven't missed a, yes. a single one. That's it. <laughs> I haven't missed a single one of them. And, um, oh gosh, just, just now the, uh, the program that we're using for, uh, this. Okay. Yeah. It just crashed for some reason. That was so weird and annoying. But we got it back um, so that we can see our notes to make sure that we are fully on topic and uh, making sure to deliver some premium stuff to you. So um, the the layout for this episode is going to be uh, talking about some big insights that I have discovered along the way. That's step one. Step two, uh, we're going to talk about also, like, where did those insights come from? Like, how did I come to those realize those things like citing actual conversations that I had. And then step three will be us talking about our lives. So, um, that's, that's the plan. So let's jump into the very first one. Exactly. So tell us Matt Barrios, <laughs> what are the insights? What are okay, some okay. key insights you've taken away from yeah. all of these many conversations? So it is, uh, I feel like doing this sort of like data research um, that's like qualitative. It's not like I'm looking at a bunch of numbers or something. Um, I'm having conversations and collecting a bunch of words and then I'm splicing and dicing them. And it's almost like searching for stars in the sky and searching for constellations. That's oh, what it feels go. like, right? So like we see all these stars, but like, oh, actually that cluster of stars goes together and they look like the Big Dipper, you know, like that's the kind <laughs> one of, of the only ones I can spot. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Right. That one looks like a bow and arrow, like, you know, those kinds of things. Right. And so that's what, what this is. So there's a cluster of, uh, you know, kind of first cluster that I'll talk about has again to do with uh, doing doing this research from a global perspective and talking about cross-cultural understandings of home. It's kind of the nature of like how I'm going about this research that I think this will be a repeated theme because I am talking with folks all around the world. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, some new interesting, you know, thoughts about language and nationality and the search for home came into view through this set of conversations over the last chunk of time. 
It's so cool. So I'm I'm excited to hear more about that and like where it came from. Also, um, I think I think one thing that is interesting to note here is that you're talking to people. I mean, even in the conversations I've heard about both that have been in different uh, places, countries, cross cultural experiences, yeah. but also who have who have mixed nationalities or, or mixed descent as well. Yes, an interesting yes. element. So, do you want to share more about that? Yeah, now? yeah, yeah. Tell I would us love. More. I would love to. Um, yeah, give a few examples of what things that I found. Um, one of the most like wild insights that I found came from a conversation with uh, Sarah, and I'd highly recommend people like go back and listen to that whole episode. She's like a real amazing proponent for uh, mental health at home, mm-hmm. and she herself is originally from Tunisia, which like me geographically ignorant as I can be. I was like, what's Tunisia? Where is a Tunisia, right? <laughs> Where is Tunisia? Do you know? Yeah, North Africa. Okay, yeah. My wife's really brilliant. I'm I'm not as smart as she is. But Tunisia uh, has its own like dialect um, that is a mix of Arabic and other kind of, you know, localized languages. She's telling me about this. But the thing that was wild for me was she mentioned how much she feels at home in the english language that's so interesting being home in a language yes yes and i i thought it was wild because like it's not in like the native language of tunisia it's not in french which is like the colonial language of that region uh, which she can speak both fluently uh, and she can also speak english fluently but in, like her third language that's where she feels most at home. And I just thought, what a fascinating thought. It made me wonder where people feel at home in a language, especially for folks who have given themselves to learning a number of languages. I know you speak Spanish fluently. Like, do you feel like there's a a sense of home in Spanish for you? What would you say? Does it bring out something different in you? It definitely brings something different out. So that makes sense that like you, you kind of, channel a different part of yourself or become different in, mm-hmm. in a different language because the ways you express things are differently. Um, yes, yes. Which is, is interesting. Like, I think that part strikes me. I, I don't know that... I think there are p- parts of it that feel like they capture a piece of me that English doesn't. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I get that piece. I don't know that I feel more at home necessarily in Spanish than English personally, but I, I do think that there are pieces of me uh, that come through. Um, in Spanish or parts of me that feel like, oh yeah, that, that just like comes through more naturally in this language than it comes through in English. That makes sense. Yeah. I know when I was uh, spending some time in Spain and like learning Spanish decently well, I remember having this moment of like, I feel like Spanish is the language of my heart. Like it's just kind of like this moment of like, man, I feel like there's something internally important about the Spanish language, uh, which as a you know, third generation Mexican American, you know, uh, I, I don't speak Spanish fluently, but I feel like there's a deep like root in that language that Mm. I'm excited to discover and explore more. Perhaps there's a sense of home even that could be in the Spanish language for me as I learn it. So it's amazing. Exciting thought. So, um, anyway, so there's like, you know, uh, an interesting like experience or insight coming from this. Another one kind of in that constellation around, cross-cultural language, nationality, and home. Um, 
I got to interview Chris Chera, who is a digital nomad. And he's mm-hmm. been a digital nomad for, I, I think he said since 2017. So, oh, a long time? Uh, yeah, a, a decently long time. Before the pandemic was. Yeah, but, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, before everybody wanted to get <laughs> as far away from their homes as possible, right? And like travel all over the world. Like, yeah, he, he's been doing it for a long time. And um, I just thought that was interesting. And uh, like the image comes to mind of like, like a stone skipping across the surface. Like that's like his experience of home and nationality. Hmm. Um, he's originally from the UK, but like, it's not like he's really claiming that as like, uh, with pride of like, uh, at least as my impression talking to him, he's not like, yeah, I'm really glad to be British and that's really important to me. And like, I love going back and so on. Now he loves being a person mm-hmm. around the world of the world. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and so that was a cool idea. Another parallel to that was my conversation with Kazuki, who was originally born in Tokyo, moved to New Zealand, uh, moved to all around <laughs> like the United States for university and stuff. Now he's living in Guatemala with his wife. So he's lived all over the world and he too experiences this, um, this thing, but especially from his angle as, uh, what he would call like a third culture kid, um, from Tokyo, but growing up in New Zealand, uh, also kind of separated from his original family in Japan and with a new family in New Zealand. And um, for him, it was like the the question, where is home? He is also in that kind of skipping stone across the surface life with how much he's moved and everything. Yeah. And uh, it also is for him an ongoing question. Where, where's my home? What is my home? Like, where do I, Interesting. E- even like on a nationality level, like what, what am I? Like you look at him and he, he looks Japanese, right? But also, like, and you know, his name is Kazuki. So like that, that will say something uh, <laughs> yeah. about like where he's from, but like, that's just a surface of things. Like yeah. he's actually had so much more going on in his experience of life and home. So yeah. Uh, yeah. Like I thought that was interesting. I could say more about other conversations, but yeah. Do you have any thoughts on any of this? Yeah. I just think it's so, um, yeah. So interesting how intertwined home is with place and with identity. Mm-hmm. And so that seems just like really clear in the cross-cultural experience that you both have a change of place and of culture, right. Which is also an identity. Yeah. Um, and then also these other layers of, of, identity um yeah obviously culture but family um you just mentioned that and yeah like where where you feel like you belong like i think that's some of the question that seems like it kind of comes up with uh with the sense of home and also the expression of yourself like through a language when i think about that too like there's an element of when you asked me that question i was like yeah there are things that feel like oh they come through in a different way in this language and so different cultures do that too and so there's this this way where it's almost a when we're talking about home it seems like it is like the reflection that we talked about a little bit last time but just like that there's the way that you can express who you are but in space and in place and in this broader context of of culture and and identity so so interesting Yeah. yeah it is super super interesting and um you know just to kind of like finish like a couple quick flyover pieces with this got to talk with Lydia who was uh, born and raised in Italy, but also was studied abroad in Scotland. Uh, so that was some interesting conversation around that shift. I got to talk with Ludovic 
uh, born and raised in France along the Mediterranean coast, but then it bounced around Europe and then eventually landed in Seattle, Washington. So like there is this, uh, perhaps, perhaps it's due to the nature of the people that I'm interviewing this interesting question about home and belonging and the fact that people have uprooted and can uproot and mm-hmm. move all around the world. And yeah. like the world is wide open to a global experience of home and where you're born isn't where you necessarily need to stay at all. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, it would probably be helpful for the sake of rounding out my research to talk to people who were born and raised in one place and have stayed there their whole lives and what yeah. uh, home means to them. Cause that would be a really, really valuable angle to add to this. So if that's you listening, you know, reach out to me and I would love to have a nice long conversation with you about what it looks like to be like really rooted in a, in a single place, uh, mm-hmm. throughout your life. That'd be a great conversation. So, um, anyways, yeah, yeah so, so that was great. I mean, so interesting. So that's like one constellation yes. that you kind of are discovering and continuing to kind of tap on. Yeah. What what else is new that kind of is coming up in these conversations that it feels like, oh, yeah, there's another constellation over here? Yeah, another one that came up was really zooming in on the topic of physical space. Okay. So uh, this collection of, uh, you know, interviews that I was really analyzing in prep for this conversation had to do, um, included an interview with a historical architecture expert named Mary and she and I talked a lot about her home and, you know, mm-hmm. being a mom and, and all of that. But we, I also tapped into her expertise as an architect, um, as a person invested in history and travel and kind of historical architecture sites. And the most interesting thing for me coming out of that conversation had to do with the fact that almost everybody lives in a space that they had nothing to do with the architectural choices. Mm-hmm. For. So in many cases, she was talking about buildings that were constructed sometimes, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of years ago. Now, even for us in our yeah. own home. Yeah, I was going to say, I like, mean, our, our apartment was a... Uh, I think it's a hundred-year-old apartment, yeah, you know? Yeah, built in the early 1900s, so... Yeah. Yeah. And... and <laughs> For sure. We had I mean, no impact our, on that. Our grandparents sure. <laughs> couldn't have even possibly influenced the architecture of this space, right? So, yeah. so interesting. And that's like a wild thought, just how enduring architecture is mm. for setting a tone for this is what life looks like at home. Mm. That's where I would say uh, I, I, d- I certainly see the way that a lot of futurist thinkers tend to be architects because they are thinking about literally, how do I design a space that's going to endure for generations and generations and generations, that's going to set a tone for, or enable a certain kind of life to arise out of it. Interesting. And um, yeah, so that's a fascinating thought for me, but in kind of in normal life for all of us, like our physical, space, the the skeletal structure in which we live, it's not changeable for us. For the most part, um, you know, you you could blow out a wall and turn your your living room and kitchen into an open concept, sure. But, you know, that's like, that's like more the extent of it, right? You can add an addition, but the idea of like raising a, a house from scratch is not 
the normal experience for most people. Mm-hmm. So I just thought that was an interesting thing to come out of that conversation and the importance then of choosing where you live, even the architecture of a space yeah, and being willing to move, frankly, (laughs) in many cases, in order to find that style of space that most is conducive to life and your recharging and your happiness and your, your ability to like, host people and all these kinds of yeah. things that make for a quality home life. Yeah. I mean, that's so interesting. Cause I think I, everyone who's ever moved, like you, I just think about going through Craigslist and through the different locations and going and visiting places and being like, Oh, what about, well, this apartment has X, but it doesn't have Y or like this house for those of you who are lucky enough to consider houses. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, um, you know, and even when we were moving into this apartment, our, our main quest of like finding a closet big enough for a baby. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we were pregnant searching for this apartment. <laughs> Is this a baby size closet? Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, okay, well, we're not going to create a closet. So like, let's find the baby size closet. Yeah. Um, but then also the things that like made us love this apartment so much that of course we have no control over creating, but it was a, a factor than choice to move here is the light. Cause I, especially we live in San Francisco. It's like, you know, it's California, but it's not sunny, sunny California. It's gray, windy California, <laughs> yeah, <fog laughs> particularly California, today. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so having really big windows, like makes such a big difference for me, like as a person, you know, and so like those kinds of choices that we make that actually set up the way that we live in a space and the room to host, um, being a really significant one to have more space that, that is space that works to have other people in and that kind of thing. Um, yeah, so it's just interesting how you have to make some of those decisions up front at different points. And you also have to do trade-offs. Most of us have to do trade-offs. We don't get all of it that we want. And so it's like, okay, that prioritizing process too, of like working within the limitations of what's available, what's there. Yeah, even for the person who does get to like hire an architect to build their home from scratch or something, there's still probably trade-offs of like, oh, it's not in the budget to add the infrared sauna or (laughs) whatever it might be, right? Like, um, except for those folks who are, you know, billionaires and whatever, like, and you know, they they get whatever they want, but we're we're all, we're all, (laughs) but but I mean, even that, even that, right. Were we just talking to a friend who's an architect who like works in a very, you know, well off area and just the reality that even people in this kind of a super fancy area who have lots of money to redesign, like there's still limitations. So it's just part of it. Yeah. yeah, it is. There, there are, and um, and it's limitations that keep keep on some level limiting, right? Um, and or uh, keeps being like the way for us to uh, like the, the structure, the skeletal structure to to flesh out our home lives in is uh, these physical spaces. So that was one thing in the constellation mm-hmm. of yeah. like physical Just space and the way what is changeable, what's not changeable. Ar- architecture is in the less changeable yeah. side of the spectrum. For most. for Yeah, for most people. Um, another one, though, has to do with the fact that with moving, and this, again, comes from uh, Insights talking to Chris, who is a digital nomad, and he brought up this fascinating idea of the fact that digital nomads get to really iterate on their experience of homes and cultures Mm. so they get to spend in his experience like three months at a time in a a house or a home home in 
you know, split Croatia and then Porto, Portugal, and then in Thailand, I, I can't remember the name of the place that he mentioned, specific place, but it's worth a listen. It was a really fascinating conversation. And he brought up that idea because he has experienced so much uh, growth for himself, actually, mm-hmm. through needing to keep adapting to new yeah. cultures, also keep collecting all of these really cool things about cultures, such as the fact that tapas are a little different between Spain and Portugal, <laughs> the fact that in Croatia they always serve water along with your coffee so that you stay hydrated. It's just like <laughs> those little things that, you know, are are norms in places that may not be norms in others. And you get to collect them and learn from them. And you get to, likewise, he, he mentioned, because he's mostly jumping from Airbnb to Airbnb, like long-term stay yeah. Airbnbs, and how much it's important for him to just let it be okay that he's going to rearrange the furniture when he first arrives. <laughs> and yeah. that's something I've never thought of doing in an Airbnb because I'm usually staying for at most like, you know, three or four days, right? Unless we're trying to make room for the pack and play. <laughs> You're like, there's no space. Move yeah. that over yeah, the side. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But yeah. he's like, oh, the couch is in the wrong place. I'm just going to move it over here. <laughs> it's just yeah. so funny. Or like, oh, we need to t- turn the bed 90 degrees. Like, that's such a funny thought. Uh, but you know, that but was it does make different. a space f- like reflect like that's that idea of like what what helps make a space feel like at home. It's interesting, and and I like the idea too. So it seems like there's like a limitation, um, but also what you mentioned iteration. The idea of getting to experience different physical spaces actually might bring clarity around what feels more more home like. What is what. You know, maybe we don't, and then also how we can bring that back into our own uh, space. I mean, I think of what we were talking about before with our home swap that we're so excited about. Yes, yes, it's going to be so fun. And just the idea of like, oh yeah, you get to experience how someone else does something. I mean, you do this when you go to someone else's for dinner, but it's different to occupy that space as the person living in it to then say like, oh, that is a really great livable experience to have. I don't know, whatever, you know, this, this arrangement of furniture or where we put this thing in the kitchen or like, oh yeah, like we could move where our knives are, you know, or whatever, make it more, make it more livable or whatever it is. But I think that idea of like getting to learn from being in different spaces is cool too. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, Chris gets a lot of that as a digital nomad. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, an addendum to this, the idea of like setting up physical spaces, rearranging, one fascinating thing coming out of my conversation with Ludovic, he is a UX designer, and so he's constantly thinking about like creating creating a sense of flow with things, mm. right? Yeah. Uh, both digital products that he's building and whatnot, but also like physical space. So he brought up this interesting idea of like going through the process of like going room by room, setting up the space, really kind of getting your intuition activated and the metaphor we were using of is like making tea or coffee without measuring out the ingredients. Right. Uh-huh. And, uh, yeah. And, and really setting up for a flow so that it's easy for you to go from like your desk outside for a breath of fresh air. You don't have to like walk around the couch and so on and so forth. Uh, you know, these kinds of things. So I thought that was an interesting thought that was part of it. And the last piece that I'll just add real quick is, um, thinking about what's changeable in a home. So if we're thinking on the spectrum of like what you can't change architecture to what you, it's actually really easy to change in your physical space. 
uh, one thing that's really easy to change, and this was a fascinating uh, insight coming from my conversation with Arnas, who's a, a young, successful entrepreneur based in Spain. Um, he actually puts up post-it notes of his goals all around his house. So when he you know, goes to brush his teeth, he's, he's reminded of his goals. When he opens a fridge, he sees a post-it note, he, post-it note, he's reminded of his goals. And there's this way that he is arranging these small pieces, like really small things, post-it notes, <laughs> in his yeah. physical space in order to help him continue to be a growing, expanding person. So those were some of the insights around that constellation of like, you know, physical space, what can you not change easily? What can you change easily? And how can you play with those things in order to help set up for a life that you're really hoping to have? So there's like, you know, some insights for you on this, uh, you know, episode of this podcast. I hope you really, really enjoyed it. And um, yeah, and me and Lindsay will continue to keep talking about when we, as we dropped some of that information along the way of what it is that we'll be doing um, for implementing some of this. So thank you very much, everybody, for listening. And uh, until next time. All right. See you then. That was just part one of a two-part Insight Roundup series. Part two is going to go into some more insights garnered from this research, as well as some real actionable, tangible steps you can take to put some of this into your home life, ultimately, so that your quality of life at home is transformed and improved. I hope you'll tune in and listen. That one will be out soon, and it's only available to listen to if you're a premium subscriber to this podcast. So if that strikes your fancy, please take a look in the show notes. And if you're not already a premium subscriber, click the link, join, and then you'll have access to it. I hope you enjoy and take care, everybody.